your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. All right, today we're talking about school shooter profiling. And, you know, in the wake of the Ubaldi shooting in Texas, I figure this is a very, very important program for us to understand what our children are uh, going to school with and what the possibilities and the probabilities are people that make up the people that do this kind of school shootings. And in our efforts to prevent disasters, we all just try to predict the conditions that precede them. And if we can predict the conditions, then we might be better able to prevent them. You know, what's really interesting about school shootings is there are some commonalities having to do with the characteristics of different people. And we're going to talk about that as the show goes on. But but really, the bottom line is a true profile of a uh, school shooter is not there. The ingredients of what could make up certain portions are there. And that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, uh, if you, let's just go back to what defines a disaster. And it's any critical incident that exceeds the response capacity of local emergency resources. So we typically think of disasters as rising from floods and storms, tornadoes, earthquake, fire, mudslides, mass transportation action, uh, accidents, wars. We don't typically think disasters arising from school shootings and young children or even teenagers. You know, nevertheless, if the consequences of school shootings are of such magnitude that they exceed local police, fire, uh, medical capacities, then by definition, they're referred to as disasters. Now, I have worked a school shooting before. The school shooting was in Red Lake Indian Reservation in Minnesota. And I can tell you that it also has some very common uh, factors from that child shooter uh, to the one that we see in Uvalde. And our efforts to prevent school shooting have focused largely upon gun control and predicting who's the greatest risk for committing uh, the acts. But the one big thing that is truly missing, and I don't understand why school districts have not put a position in place of somebody who actually supervises the social media of all the children in the school district's accounts, where they actually look for these things proactively within the school district. And the other capacity that I don't fully understand is why we haven't increased our efforts of having mental health in the schools to be able to identify and work with people that have the capacity or the propensity for violence towards other children. You know, if we really think about it, uh, profiling is great, and that's been the one step that has happened but also it has not stopped it and the violence just continues. And then we have what are called copycats because the media heightens who they are, why did they do it? There's so much questions around this stuff and people are very curious. They wanna know and they got their kids in schools so and they wanna know that they're safe. So they're looking for the profiles of these killers to try to understand that, that's great. 
but we can do so much more. We can be so much more proactive on the front end, and children these days are going through enormous mental health challenges and academic challenges because of the COVID virus and because also we all have helicopter parents. And helicopter parents mean that they're always around. If you go to the woods, I got to go with you. If you go play with your friend, I got to go with you. If you know, we have to set up play dates. We have to do all this craziness. And not like when I was a kid, they'd throw you out the door. You come back to eat dinner and that's it. Um, nobody cared if you were safe or not safe. Not that they didn't care, but they weren't hovering. I don't know what it is, but this day and age, we live in so much danger of our children and our children who they're friends with. We filter all that. We have to get to know the parents and half the time the parents are crazy. And, and so then we can't have our kid be friends with them and go to their house. And it's just goes on and on and on and on and on as to what's happening. And we are now in the worst possible place because we are completely with homeschooling, uh, with the lack of social services that we have these days, we are actually in more danger now than we've ever been simply because we are not uh, set up to be able to, number one, have social work or police or courts or anything to be able to enforce the laws of the land and to look for these people in advance. You know, the formal origins of criminal profiling really arose seriously in the FBI training center in Quantico, Virginia. And, and in 1972, the con criminal in investigative analysis division uh, analysis division was created to study serial rapes and homicides and it's later renamed the behavioral sciences unit because core personnel uh, were, were taught to be able to handle the psychological accept, uh, uh, idea of criminal profiling and the mistake that is made by many people when trying to construct a predictive profile based on previous experiences is over inclusion of cases which leads to the regression and delusion effect. And so that means we delude ourselves by pairing up cases with uh, all putting up together all unhealthy cases and basically saying, okay, uh, this is what a criminal looks like. Well, no, it's an evolving profile. It's evolving always, always, always. And here's what's interesting. And, and I find it challenging and I'm just putting it out there as a conspiracy theory. But, you know, I'm really and having worked these kind of situations. I'm really super, super uh, uh, suspicious that there's a lot more going on to this Uvalde thing than than we're able to even wrap our minds around. Number one. You know, this guy put tons of social media out there, tons of social media out there to let people know that this is what his intentions were, that, that he was intending to hurt people. Number two, he was bragging about his new resources. Number three, he had a brand new truck. Somebody is behind him. And what's interesting is now that we're coming into elections into here in the summer, uh, now the Democratic Party has a issue to run on, which is uh, guns and taking away guns. And it's so and it's so funny that this shooting took place in Texas, where the NRA headquarters is, and the officers stood outside in the hallway for an hour, allowing these kids to be targeted by this person with a loaded gun, and nobody went in to stop him. 
there's some really weird stuff on around this whole thing. And I'm just thinking there might be some politics out there that's involved in this whole thing, too. So it's just a conspiracy theory, but I'm thinking something's really wrong. So, you know, to let us address questions, what, you know, what is the consideration and what are the factors to think about when it comes to school shooting? Number one, what type of person perpetrates uh, school shootings? The answer is there's simply not one profile. But if we look at this sublet of violence from within school shooting cases, uh, which are most lethal, there may be a profile that resembles the revenge-motivated pseudo-commando mass murder. You know, if, if you think about in terms of that we have aggregated data all over from a National Center of Analysis of Violent Crime and Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, as they've reviewed school shootings over the course of decades so that they derive a, a model of those who commit and attempt to commit mass murders in school, the model, which is not a profile, but is unique that it's not only descriptive, but it can directly lead to prescriptive, actionable interventions of things that we need to look for, on, especially on the Internet or around these people where we need to go, hey, there's some potential for something bad to happen here. You know, <clears throat> so if we look at the factors, not diagnostically, not as a profile, but, but as the basis to, to, to suspect that there may be a problem with people. You know, there's a vast majority of school shooters that have been male, and the vast majority of those over 90% were active or recent students at a certain school. Now, this last shooter had nothing to do with the school, which is another weird thing about that Uvalde incident. You know, if there's one prominent theme in school shooting, it is anger and revenge. Anger and revenge are the primary factor. 75% of school shooters felt bullied or harassed by other students. And sometimes shooters felt unfairly treated by teachers. So they seldom have specific targets, but kill randomly in order to inflict the most harm. And school shooters tend to be socially awkward and avoidant, and then they often isolate themselves with few or any friends. And, and some are described as quote unquote strange. And some often retreat to, they tend to have this idea of loving fantasy, especially when they're under stress. And when they do shoot, they, they tend to have an obsessive quality that often leads to detailed planning. And ironically, they seem to lack an understanding of the consequences of their behavior. And so they have a history of adverse encounters with law enforcement. And that's another factor. And some have this obsessive quality that drives them to focus on interpersonal rejection, unfair treatment, elaborate plans for revenge. And they also express fascination with violence, morbid media, or death. And if the shooter does associate with others, it's likely to be those who share preoccupations with the, the, the uh, uh, gothic type of themes. And so they also have a history of cruelty to animals. Um, uh, which we saw that in this person that shot in Uvalde. And there's also a sense of hopelessness that predicts their own death by the end of the incident. And here's the other problem. There's the media contagion effect, where copycat killings, they serve as an especially powerful motivator for those who already feel anger, frustration, and loss. Now they have a way to historically denote that my 
parents or my people at home have, uh, have hurt me. The teachers have hurt me. Children have hurt me. Other kids have hurt me. You know, the bottom line is they want to do a Broadway production to make sure everybody sees about what happened to them in their life. They also tend to have experienced dysfunctional family situations, no surprise, or experience of a lack of effective adult supervision, mentoring, and oversight. And, and, and also, we have to understand that if a kid is being raised by a parent, a grandparent who raised their parent, there's a high chance that that parent is also not very effective as a, as a grandfather or grandmother or as a couple because they raised the parent that abandoned their kid, you know, the, or turned to drugs or turned to, to, to any kind of habit or addiction. And they also, 68% uh, uh, of the shooters obtained weapons from their own home or a home of a relative, which that can be easily accessible. They also tend to express their frustrations and anger using art or social media posts, and they monitor much of the media, and, become, and it becomes a really important tool in their early identification of people at risk for committing violence. Huge. This is why school systems need to have somebody always on the time, on, on the clock, looking after who is making this kind of media and who is potentially a shooter in our community. And, and this model, this, this idea that I'm talking about is simply the accumulation of integration of, of, of reoccurring themes that warrant consideration, not only by law enforcement, but educators and mental health clinicians dedicated to the prevention of school safety. You know, so we can we tell who will be next? Probably not. But we can facilitate direct supportive outreach and intervention ideas and programs with those who may be at high risk for committing the violence uh, or to their families or to both. And that means mental health. That means law enforcement. That means school district heightening their ability not only to protect kids in their schools, but to profile people who could potentially be a problem and identify them and then get them into mental health. You know, it's hard to emphasize with someone who carries out a school shooting. The brutality of their crimes is unspeakable. Whether the shootings were in Uvalde, Columbine, Parkland, you know, they, they have traumatized kids. They have traumatized communities across the United States. And yes, they have traumatized this entire country. You know, someone went out of their way to target and kill children who look like our children, teachers who look like our teachers, and did it for no other reason than to hurt them. And that's a very personal. You know, law enforcement agents act as well, spend a lot of time thinking about and what it's like to be one of these shooters. But if you're going to understand these shooters, that's the key to prevention, understanding them. But you can't just observe. You've got to proactively get into their media and understand what the heck is this person doing? What are they saying? What is their threat? What is their home life like? Mental health has to be a part of this component. And to gain insights, the interested parties look at the past. They tally up shootings and incidents of school violence, and it's difficult. There's no official count or various organizations. They all differ from the amount of school shootings that, that have been experienced around the world. You know, psychologists and law enforcement agencies have analyzed how these sorts of multi-victim attacks can be. And because of what they tell us about 
many other people who are at risk of becoming violent in schools and the ways we might intervene early before anger becomes violence. Let's think about this. If you're dealing with a kid, a teenager, a white teenage boy in particular, or any teenage boy, what you're going to come to find is there's a population of them that are actually completely suicidal. And if they're suicidal, that means they have no value for their own life. If they have a suicidal plan, that's even more serious. That means they have a weapon and they have the intention. And so the bottom line is we have to really, really think about if this, this population has a high propensity for suicide, they also have a high propensity for a school shooting, especially if they have uh, uh, rifles or guns or aren't, you know, whatever out there that they can do harm with. And so, you know, in two decades since the Columbine High School shooting, research has learned a lot about school shooters. For one thing, they're, 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 many of them are already students or former students at the schools they attack. Once again, Ubaldi's very different than that. I suspect there's a much, 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 much bigger picture that we're not seeing that has politics behind it there. There's one thing, maybe a couple of dozen different things that come together to put someone in the path of committing the act of mass violence. Most shooters in these cases have led to difficult lives. Adolescent school shooters, there's no question that they're struggling and they've been multiple failures in their lives, especially by their parents. You know, there's breeding stock and then there's parents. The vast majority of what's out there these days <clears throat> is breeding stock. And it's sad, but that's what's raising our children. And many struggle with a lot of psychological problems. These days, narcissism is rampant. And that means parents that are narcissists are raising little narcissists. Kind of crazy, but that's what they do because they gaslight them and they teach them how to gaslight. Once they do that, they're going to gaslight everybody they see in their whole life. You know, we know that mental health issues are very much in the mix. And when you've been gaslighted, that means you have no voice. That means there's no respect. Well, what are the two ingredients to rage? Gee, it is number one, uh, disrespect, which it means you're not being heard. Number two is fear. Put those both together, and who's very bitter about life, Hyperdensity, mentally, physically, or whatever way, emotionally, to other in their life. Going on. All right, we're going to take. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. 
That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for the power of young people to change the world. Hosted by NYLC CEO Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about school shootings profiling. And you know... I really have to say that we know that mental health issues are very much in the mix of the trouble with uh, people being school shooters. The child might be just, you know, very depressed or also what's been found in some studies is you've got this curious combination of both depression and paranoia. And we have to also understand that schizophrenia itself in boys comes to bloom sometime around the age of 18. And so with girls, it comes in around age 28. And what's interesting is that also could be blossoming into this profile, but we don't know that for certain. You know, the the mental health issues have to be treated. We really need to heighten that aspect of what's in our schools so that we can get a better handle and get our children to be much safer in school so they can actually get an education and be safe enough to feel vulnerable enough to sit in the classroom and actually take in very difficult information. Mental health health issues don't cause school shootings, but they have, you know, that there are psychological issues that are involved in it. Mental health problems are a risk but you know they can decrease by one's ability to cope with stresses and so you know the, the, these shooters the most common part of them is they've lived very stressful lives many though not all have experienced childhood traumas such as psychological and physical abuse uh, emotional abuse unstable families addiction uh, violence absent or alcoholic parents or siblings and, and most have experienced significant losses, you know, and, and, you know, if you feel like an outcast at school, that may also play a role. Uh, initial media reports suggest that the perpetrator in Uvalde had been bullied and harassed at school for years for a speech impediment. And, you know, a lot of these people have felt excluded socially, left out or rejected. And I'm not siding with them or anything like that. But once again, we're trying to get to know what this antisocial type of person is going to commit this kind of a crime. They have anxiety, they have depression, they have aggression, and yes, that's going to show up in their social media. 
And so looking at that, marginalized kids don't have anchors at school. They don't have adult connection. No one watching out for them. No one knows who they are anymore. And then they find themselves trying to spend their time obviously playing violent video games is another component of their profile, of who they are, of what accounts for these shooters. They have a very high fantasy life. They live in video games, especially violent ones. So, you know, this is the kind of stuff we have to look out for. People who do these kind of targeted attacks don't feel very good about themselves or where they're headed in their lives. They may wish that someone would kill them, or maybe they want to kill themselves, and maybe they're suicidal, so they have no value on anybody else in their life. You know, that there's uh, about half of school shooters uh, have, have died by suicide in their actual attack. And it's often a mix of severe depression, anguish, desperation, driving them to end their own lives. And so they want to take everybody out with them, everybody that they've hated, everybody that, that they feel has held them down, even if they're just a representative of the idea of who that person would be. You know, and of course, uh, most people feel suicidal uh, people don't kill others. Well, some do if they're going to fall within the profile of what we're looking at in this program. Uh, a, a, a small minority of kids with mental health issues and thoughts of suicide also turn to violence and homicide, you know, because these individuals has been, have been struggling alone. You know, a person that is going to kill another person is often called a antisocial personality, which is a, a, which is a, 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 an adult diagnosis. That means they have an antisocial personality disorder. If people have that, that alone is a major ingredient of somebody that's going to do a lot of damage in their lifetime to other people in all kinds of different ways. You know, that means they have very little value for anybody in society. As a matter of fact, the propensity for people to hate other people is higher than it's ever been due to COVID. Because people lost all their ability to have social skills. And so we've, we're all kind of walking around two centuries uh, uh, earlier than what we should be right now in our communication style with each other. You know, uh, uh, these, these people also have a common thing that they fantasize about revenge. And so the fantasy is where the, the teenager starts to identify with other people who have become school shooters and have used violence. And so, you know, they, they, they go online, they research how people had previously have planned and ex executed their attacks. They obviously have some easy access to guns, which is one of the biggest risk factors, and then turns these fantasies into reality. And psychologically, uh, these attacks can be prevented because they're often weeks or months in the planning. And so we've got to get behind what is this kid doing online? What are they doing? And get to know and then match it up against the what we call a profile or an idea of what makes up a school shooting killer. The keys to prevention are to spot the earliest behavioral signs. That means we need to have mental health on the front line. And that means the school that obviously the student is struggling and also watch for signs that someone may be veering towards violence. Watch to see if a student may actually not be not coming to school for a long time or disappearing 
off the campus for a long period of time. There's some signs that something is is on the radar there and it needs to be looked into. And, you know, stop being the kid who, who went to the Boy Scouts and church and loved their grandma. That's not the way we live these days. The vast majority, they just want to be the kid in camouflage who's isolated and attacks people or hurts them or fantasizes about hurting uh, because that's all they have. There's a lot of anger in this life. There's a lot of people who are latchkey children, a lot of kids who don't have good parenting. You know, uh, uh, if you think about it, you know, there, there's all kinds of people that make up the profile and they're not stupid people. There's sometimes like the, the, the Dylan uh, uh, Klebold was a gifted student who did the Columbine High School uh, uh, shooting and, and he just started to get into trouble. And from there, his really good brain turned into a really bad brain in doing a lot of planning of how to do this attack and get revenge. And he and some of the friends hacked into the school's computer system. Then a couple months later, the, the, their friend, his friend Eric Harris, broke into a van, stole some equipment. They were arrested at that point, sent to a diversion program, which is what our wonderful district attorneys these days in many of our major cities are, are allowing them to do. They go to an alternative jail uh, for first-time juvenile offenders, and then they offer counseling and community service, and then they're back in the school. There we go. You know, it's really a major, major thing that we have to think about. The piece that 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 that, that we fail in is that we tend to underestimate the level of pain that someone may be in. And we all have the responsibility to stop and think someone we love may be suffering and may be in crisis. If you're a person like many who avoid conflict, you are going to avoid and walk past the problem of this person who could potentially do great damage. You know, the solution, if you think about it, isn't to expel or suspend these students. It's, it's, it's get mental health into their life. Get some confidentiality. Get some idea of how to help this person. You know, that's what we need. We need compassion and empathy in the front end not compassion and empathy for the victims on the back end. These poor kids killed for no reason, no reason. These, these perpetrators, these shooters are full of loneliness. They're full of depression. They're full of narcissism, rage, rants against people, and a lot of problems come from that. If you give put a gun in their hand, they're going to do some things. They're going to do some really bad things. You know, uh, uh, and it doesn't mean that all of the kids that have these profiles are going to do some bad things, but they're likely going to do some bad things in their lives. And so that in itself, we need to get our arms around that. We need to get our heads around this and understand that we are creating a lot of antisocial people in this world. A lot of kids who have those traits because nobody is parenting them. And there's no single answer. You know, the, there's no single answer to school shootings, but it goes much deeper and further than the issues of gun control and mental illness. You know, there's also a lot of other explanations. The profiling of school shooters, ever since the mass shooting in Columbine, we can safely surmise that the typical American school shooter is likely to be Caucasian from a middle class community who attends or attended a suburban high school. The shooter is likely to be a loner, an outcast, and described by teachers and peers as being socially awkward with a limited number of friends. 
That's not hard to think. I bet you, you know somebody in your life who is like that at a young age. You know, reports also indicate the majority of school shooters were victims of bullying. Bullying continues to be a pervasive school problem among kids, uh, including both verbal, physical, and, and let's just talk about bullying. There's also cyberbullying, where they're getting online and telling them uh, horrible things about themselves and harassing them. You know, it's, it's, it's horrendous what these kids will do to hurt each other. And it's amazing that we have so much pain. But bullies, bullies are like dogs with a squeaky toy. You know, if you let the dog, the dog wants you to see how powerful they are, they are. So they're squeaking the toy. They squeak, 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 and they finally eat the thing out. They destroy the squeaky. And guess what happens? The toy ends up in the corner. Nobody ever touches it again. It is a silent horrible little thing sitting in the corner that the dog will never play with because they all got they got the squeaky out that's what they want that's what bullies want they want squeaky toys they want people who will respond to them and react to them whether verbally or non-verbally by the way they abuse them if you don't respond you have a better shot at making the bully look like a fool because you don't respond and if you don't respond that means they're just talking into the wind and everybody looks at them as an idiot. You know, it, it, we have to understand that, that there's a lot of reports that, that indicate that the majority of school shooters were the victims of bullying. And unlike uh, uh, criminology theories that explain why people engage in mass shootings and other crimes, there, there's, a, there's uh, people obey rules and remain law abiding. And, and social control theories primarily focus on how external environmental and institutional factors influence how we conform to society's rules and expectations. Well, it's nice to have new rules and expectations, but if you don't implement them and children are susceptible to bullies and idiots and psychopaths and antisocial personalities, uh, you're going to find yourself having very angry population of children. And that is something that we all have to take responsibility for. We, as a society, have to understand that about half the parents out there, if not more, are breeding stock. And so we, as a population of people, need to show love and support and concern and empathy and compassion for all of our children. You know, there's also a problem with attachment. Attachment is is, is a compassion and empathy towards friends, family, coworkers, even acquaintances like classmates, school shooters lack attachment. They harbor this internalized anger, frustration, disappointment that can stem from being bullied by their peers, whether real or perceived. And rejection is a very important component of their makeup of what makes them angry. And so these antagonistic emotions grow in days and weeks and months and lead up to the attack. And while some school shooters have targeted specific people, um, they, they, they may also fire indiscriminately. And so the random direction the shooter's aim suggests they have no regard for human life and have rationalized their actions that this is what all people deserve no matter who they are. You know, it, it's just amazing to think about that a person can totally dehumanize themselves and others and turn it into a, a basically a hunting um, spree. And, and it's sad. It's, it, you know, and also commitment. It also pertains to the time and energy a person spends pursuing a specific social goal or activity. 
you know, like get if you want to get a college degree or become a professional. Some of these people want to be a criminal. They want to be a school shooter. They want to be somebody who makes a big impact by a crime. And if they do that, they feel like they will be glamorized for the rest of their life or their life will be researched, which is the only attention their life, in their opinion, may have only got ever gotten. You know, it's also individuals who are engrossed in conventional and and fulfilling social activities often don't have the time or interest to engage in unlawful activities. So one of the main reasons parents want their children involved in athletics, extracurricular activity, church, God forbid, you know, or, or other socially appropriate activity that keeps them out of trouble, gives them a sense of belonging, a club, an organization, a church. Individuals who commit school shootings are often described as loners and outcasts, meaning they don't feel like a meaningful part of any group or any community. And so we, we need to really understand it's not rocket science to kind of at least put on the radar who is the potential person that could commit this? We've got to get more serious about that. You know, the, the, the final bond is when a, a person believes that the social rules and expectations, laws of society is taught to them by parents and family members and friends, as well as educational and religious institutions. And if they do that, they often come back to that morally. What's sad is during the teenage years of life, we are learning how to exercise our values. By the age of 10, every person on the planet has instituted their values already. Now, what they wanna do is individuate and exercise their values and see how they work. If they find that they're rejected and they don't work, that they don't belong and their values are different from everybody else, they're going to either adapt to everybody else or they're going to alienate from everybody else, which both creates problems. And so it's really important to, uh, for, uh, to, for us to understand that the age of eight to 10 to 11 is a critical turning point in any child's life as to how safe and how attached and how healthy and how mentally healthy they're going to be coming into this life. You know, there's also the uh, that uh, weak social bonds also lead to school shootings. In order to fully understand and appre uh, appreciate the uh, you know the idea of school shooters, you know, it's really important to understand that in present day, you know, the shift in family structure has really uh, been huge. Thirty four percent of children today are living with an unmarried parent up from 9% in 1960. What's interesting is these people who get divorced do not realize that their partner is gonna get married again, likely, and not know how to be married because they never learned in the first place. And the next thing you know, they're gonna be dragging somebody else into their life who wants to be a parent to your child, and then they discover your child doesn't want them to parent them, and of course they harbor resentment and then they begin to abuse. So step-parent abuse is often out there, and all of a sudden your parent has to step in front of them and defend them instead of their child. And so sadly, we find a lot of conflict in step homes, step family homes. God forbid they go get family counseling or marital counseling and learn how to discipline as a step family, which means the biological person needs to be the disciplinarian and the other step parent needs to be the nice aunt and uncle, but not the person who implements discipline. And so a lot of people don't learn that. And unfortunately, we get a lot of resentment out there. 
you know, friends, family members, religious leaders, teachers, they provide guidance to young people, but it all comes from the home. And, and we all have to teach people how to take rejection, how to take disappointment, frustration. Pain is a teacher. It will teach us how to respond to life and how to be healthy. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk more about these school shooters. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Unravel the mysteries of metaphysics every week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Join host Barb Crowley as she and her insightful guest share what's been learned behind the veil, going just beyond our five senses. Now you can see things with an entirely different point of view. Tune in for Metaphysics, a view through the veil, broadcasting live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Use it to explore your advantage and deeper understanding. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're, we're talking about school shooting profiles. And one of the things that we can do at home is to make our kids healthier. And, and that is to help them make connections. You know, they need to build positive relationships with family members, friends, other people who can provide support and being active in, in groups and faith-based organizations and community organizations is one way that can help a kid expand and develop a sense of understanding and empathy of other people. Also, uh, you know, avoiding the idea of seeing crisis as insurmountable You know, highly stressful events happen to everybody, but what counts is how one interprets and responds to them. So try looking beyond the present to how the circumstances may be better. You know, note subtle ways that you might be able to feel better about what you about how you deal with difficult situations. You know, what are your coping skills? You know, can can you do something good for yourself to take care of yourself during this time? You know, we all have to accept also in teaching our children that change is part of living. 
And as you get older, certain goals may no longer be attainable as a result of circumstances. So when you accept that some circumstances could not be changed, like your parents getting divorced, and now your income is half of what it was, and now you're living in poverty, coming out of a middle-class lifestyle, sadly, that is the way of life in this day and age. We've got a divorce rate hovering over, or hovering towards 70%. 70% of people that take vows and the covenant of marriage. I, I do. What does that mean? I do. You either I will be married or I won't be married. Unfortunately, a lot of people try to be married. So they have a back door. And that's what they do. And then our children are the victims of that. And now we're looking at children with rage, children who have been abandoned, and children who now have to be profiled and viewed in order to prevent them from blowing up a school or shooting a bunch of children. You know, we have to take decisive actions rather than detach from problems and stresses or wish they could just go away. We have to take decisive actions to improve the situation as best we can. And avoidance is not the answer. However, a vast majority of adult human beings on the planet are averse to crisis, are adverse to conflict, and they'll stick their head in the sand and never do anything about anything. You know, we also have to look for opportunities for self-discovery. You know, people often learn something about themselves and grow uh, some respect as a result of struggling with loss or rejection or, or disappointment. Many people make their tragedies their testimonies. And if you do that, you learn how to be what's called resilient. You know, uh, we, we also, if we want to have negative narrative, we can walk through life becoming very bitter by collecting evidence like school shooters do that they are alone in this world. No one loves them. No one, they, they hate all human beings and they will collect evidence to basically make sure that their view is right. That all the negative failures of life and society is right there in front of them and they have lots of evidence to prove it and now they can act on it and dehumanize the human spirit. But if we actually collect a positive narrative in life and develop our children in a way that they collect a positive narrative in life, looking at the possibilities of what they could accomplish in life, what they could do in their life, all the opportunities they may have in their life, then we're going to cultivate healthier children. We also want to keep things in perspective. You know, when facing painful things, try to consider the stressful situation and the broader context and keep a long-term perspective rather than focusing on an event, focus on the whole process. That's more important than just focusing on the event. If we try to focus on the event, we will never understand the event. We also have to pay attention to our needs and our feelings. And, and so that could be, I need somebody to pay attention to me. I need validation. I need gifts. I need whatever, intercourse. I need intimacy. Whatever that is, I need to spend time with some people. That love language is a need. It's an emotional need. It's not a want. And that's how we can form a much healthier life. You know, the horrific mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas is the deadliest shooting in American school near, for nearly a decade. And the, a mass shooting is defined as a single attack on a public pace. 
you know, where four or more people are killed. And sadly, there are few reasons to believe that the frequency of these tragedies is going to decline as long as our media is out there trying to explain it to us. When the bottom line is there may be some other darker, bigger picture that only the FBI, the CIA or none of them, maybe just human beings walking around and speculating, may actually come to the conclusion that we're in a political environment where the Democrats can take full advantage of this kind of stuff. And yeah, they may be behind it because they put Joe Biden in office, probably by the fact that he wasn't elected, uh, probably by the fact they fraudulently uh, got him in there. So, you know, I don't know. It's just my opinion. You know, there's almost an exhaustible supply of marginalized, emotionally disturbed, rage-filled young people in this country. And, and, and it, with at least 123 shootings, only three females have done that. Um, and, and, you know, most of the perpetrators uh, are under the age of 18. This one in Uvalde was not. He was 18. You know, no single psychological or demographic profile can proactively identify likely school shooters. But there's some general features that we've talked about in this uh, uh, program that are very important. The feelings of rejection, the history of being bullied. It cannot be denied. Having access to guns or knives or whatever. You know, that cannot be denied. There's no credibility or credible clinically based evidence of mass shooters as a group, or, you know, that they're psychopathic or delusional when carrying out violence. But also blaming mental illness for school shooting stigmatizes those with clinically diagnosed psychological disorders. So we also have to be careful about that. And so, you know, handguns are easily obtainable in the U.S. and most often poorly secured by family members. So what we have to understand is if we are going to live in a very stressful childhood and that child gets stressfully uh, uh, exacerbated to acute anxiety or panic attacks, if that's going to be how they live, they are going to live a miserable life and they are going to have a higher propensity because all of these school shootings, despite the fact that they were pre-planned -pre for the most part, have the factor that there's also a stressful event that happens right before they come. You know, violent acts, including mass shootings, are on the rise. And it's possibly related to maybe the pandemic or the social, uh, uh, socioeconomic dislocations the lack of people having friends or having any kind of need for empathy or giving empathy or, or being so selfish now that they can't give empathy. And if we're going to walk through life not having empathy, we are going to walk through life not having meaning. Because how is meaning created in life? It's through relationships. That is where our life is most meaningful. It's not by what we do. It's not about what we say. It's about how we feel about each other. When you get married, you get married because you have feelings for each other that is different, hopefully, than you have for others. And the children are created from a feeling-based decision that we want children. It's not logical to have children. They're expensive. But if there's a feeling there, that's what creates meaning. But if you're going to have children and go, ah, this is too hard. I don't want to do all this work. I'm lazy, but ah, I don't want to do I don't want to go to the park. I don't want to do this. I'm just going to sit them down in front of a video game and let that babysit them. Well, then you're going to create kids who don't know how to socialize and have meaning in their life. You know, media attention really also encourages this, 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 this copycat effect. 
and after mass shootings, the general media are often fixated on the shooter's motives, and they're fixated on the family background and signed a mental disturbance and social media postings. And almost inevitably, this lurid coverage is linked to the shooter's name and face. And unfortunately, there's a reason to believe that this sort of sensation may encourage copycat killers bent on outdoing the previous shooter. And to the tens of thousands of disaffected, rejected, bullied young men who imbibe the sort of cultural glorification and the temptation to make history by violence and vengeful means, it's probably going to be irresistible for them to not want to try to outdo what somebody has also already done to make a legacy of their own life. It's sick, but that's how people think. You know, many students simply announce their attacks to their friends. And what happens there? They're bragging about it. Other times they, they, they warn their friends to stay away. Sometimes they tell them about the plans in order to recruit them as partners. In other cases, they make direct threats to the intended victims. And more subtle warning signs sometimes appear in their homework assignments. Warning signs take many forms. You know, and the most common warning sign seems to consist of them talking to friends about the attack, sometimes an explicit announcement. And, and either way, the students are taught to report these comments. More shootings can be prevented, but they don't want to narc them off. And also several themes are, are, are frequently cited as motivations and justifications. That includes revenge for real or perceived injustices. Hatred based on envy of those who are more successful or have higher social status than the perpetrators and a desire to make their mark on the world, to go down in history. The essential message is that school shootings can be prevented. In fact, many potential attacks have been thwarted because people noticed warning signs and took appropriate action. But on the fringe, we also have to have the mental health capacity to come to grips with this in the school environments. We have to also have some form of social media, cyber media, uh, uh, viewing of people's social media in the school system. That's very important. You know, the, 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 there's all kinds of things that we can do. There's all kinds of cries for help that we can recognize. You know, adolescents may first hide their destructive fantasies out of fear of rejection, but over time, they may increasingly feel the need to express them. And they can do that in drawings and poems, dropping hints in conversations. You know, like, like uh, some other emotionally disturbed kids, uh, and uh, you know, some people write, you know, I'm, 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 I'm entirely raged. I am ready to kill. I'm ready to do something, you know. And now we also are recognizing that there's a higher uh, uh, audience of autistic people with autistic spectrum. And they can be very smart and have no emotions. And that doesn't mean they're all going to be killers. But what it does mean is there's a higher propensity for a person not to have empathy. And we're recognizing that's a pervasive part of living right now. And so many of our insights come from analyzing the fantasies of these adolescent shooters. And it, we have to understand it takes root in a desperate mind that yearns for recognition and yearns to be a part of the world. And yet many times we allow our children to abuse or be abusers or be abused. And we have to take control of that. You know, we have to come to grips with that. Once again, a bully feeds on the squeaky toy. They look for the squeaky. If the squeaky responds, they feel powerful. That's what a bully is. They're worthless. They are pathetic. They're insecure. 
and they're hopeless. And that's sad too, because the bully is creating another sad, hopeless person. By being bullied, you have to go to school and you're stuck, your parents are giving you all this pressure and you're stuck dealing with this jerk who has no life. And now they're putting all this pressure on you. It sucks. And that's why these kids have to be treated more seriously. All right. That's our show. You know, I love hearing from you. And you can do that through our uh, webpage at voiceamerica.com, the empowerment channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now, remember, the strongest people stand up for others. Also, in regards to parenthood, the scariest hood you will ever go through. And also, if you feel you're out of shape, remember that round is also a shape, too. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you.